the Old Testament, God raised up incredible heroes to accomplish his plan on earth. Oftentimes, they are portrayed as superhuman and near perfect, when in reality, they were normal, everyday men and women with strengths and weaknesses, just like everyone else. In this series, CMC's pastors will share the stories of these heroes of faith and what we can learn from them as we pursue God's call on our lives. Join student pastor Josh Barnett as he teaches on Elijah and Elisha. I've got a lot to share in a short amount of time. I think I have 36 minutes, so we're going to get after it tonight. i got to talk about two men. I got the two ladies. I had uh, Ruth and Esther. If you hadn't heard those yet, check them out on the podcast. But I had the two ladies, and so uh, I guess because I was the only Got only guy that got the girls. Uh, they doubled me up tonight with two guys, so I got to make it up for with two men in one night. But this is good. This is going to be a lot. So uh, uh, tighten your seatbelt because here we go. Um, but welcome to part nine of our Heroes of Faith series. Uh, we've been looking at Old Testament characters, uh, people who God used to accomplish His plan and purposes on the earth. And tonight we're going to be studying these two prophets, Elijah and Elisha. And these are probably two of the most famous prophets in Israel's history. Um, Both performed a number of amazing miracles, which we're going to look at quite a few tonight. Um, A little bit of background and history of what's going on right now. King Ahab is now the seventh king of Israel. And he it says, the Bible says that he exceeds all the other kings in wickedness. So he is not a good guy. He's not a good king. And to make it worse, he marries a heathen princess. He marries Jezebel, in which Jezebel so bad we still read about her in Revelation. Uh, and it even talks about in Revelation, uh, Jesus condemns one of the churches for tolerating the spirit of Jezebel. And so we still see her affect an influence, uh, a demonic influence in the world today. Um, so she's a really bad girl. Um, she herself hires 450 prophets of Baal. Um, she hunts and kills the prophets of God. Uh, she and Ahab so popularized the worship of Baal in Israel that while Elijah is a prophet, that, that at one time we hear that only 7,000 people remain in all of Israel that have not bowed down to Baal. And so this is a horrible time in Israel. There's actually even a lot of child sacrificing going on as well. Um, but God is not ignorant of it. He knows what's going on, and he al- God always has a plan. And it's interesting when Elijah shows up on the scene in chapter 17, translations start with the word, and God sent Elijah, or but now God is sending Elijah, or in the translation that we're reading is now Elijah. So God has a plan, and his plan is the prophet that he's going to send on the scene. Now, Elijah's ministry begins around 875 B.C., and he transfers it to Elisha around 848 B.C., so just about, just about 30 years there that he's, that he's um, in ministry. And Elijah is the first in a long line of important prophets that are called by God to take his word to the people in Israel and Judah. Israel is a divided nation at this time. Uh, Israel, the northern kingdom, and Judah, the southern kingdom. Israel really had no faithful kings to God. Uh, Each led the people in worship of pagan gods. There were a few priests left from the tribe of Levi, Levi, but most of them have now gone to Judah. They've gone south where there was a godly king. Um, and the priests that, that were being appointed in Israel were corrupt. So there's no priests and there's no kings to bring God's word to the people. So God appoints the prophets now. And he uses prophets for the next 300 years to try to rescue Israel from its moral and spiritual decline. And so at this crucial time in history, Elijah suddenly shows up. So let's look here. 1 Kings chapter 17. If you got your Bible, there's the quick background. And we're going to pick it up where it starts talking about Elijah in 1 Kings chapter 17. 
Verse 1, it says, Now Elijah, who was from Tishbe and Gilead, told King Ahab, As surely as the Lord lives, the God of Israel, the God I serve, there will be no dew or rain during the next few years until I give the word. Okay, so pause right there. Dude shows up on scene. Like, it, you, this, bro, this is your first step into ministry, and he's in front of the king telling him there's not going to be rain or dew for the next few years. So, like, this is intense. Like, it, here in Arkansas, if we don't get rain or dew for, like, we always get due, but if we don't get any rain for like two or three weeks, like we're in trouble. Like there's like bad things start to happen. It starts to get really, really, really awfully dry. And he says there's not going to be any rain. There's not even going to be any dew in the morning. And so you're just going to get this dry heat for the next few years. So imagine the chaos that this is going to cause. Um, <clears throat> and so uh, it's because Ahab and Jezebel were leading the people in worship of Baal, and Baal was the sky god, they considered. He was the god of the rain. He was the god of thunder. He was the god of, uh, of water coming to the earth. And so um, this is really showing God's power over Baal, which is really cool um, here taking place at this time. Um, Baal was believed to be the god who brought rain and harvest, and so this really shows God's power over everything. Now, Elijah's name even means Yahweh is my God. And so this is, this is huge right here of God showing his supreme power and authority uh, in the world. Um, and so this, but this moment for Elijah would have instantly made him famous because he's right before the king. And so he's right there. Um, instantly, he's just, he's huge. He's got a big name. And then you see verse two, then the Lord told Elijah, go east and hide. And so now he has to go hide. And not only does he have to go hide, but he's, his, God says, you're going to go hide by this brook and ravens are going to bring you food. And so he gets a huge moment and now he's got to run away and hide. Um, now, I, just uh, as we go through these stories, I'm just going to throw out um, little spiritual nuggets here and there for us as we can learn from these. But uh, you've you got to understand, we may have big moments, but God still needs us to be alone with him so that he can develop us, so that he can prepare us for the big moments. God develops us in the secret place. He doesn't develop us on the platform. He develops us in the secret place. He develops us in the hidden places with him. And then God also uses ravens. He uses crows, unclean birds, to bring him food. And I want you to understand that God will always provide for us, but many times he provides for us in ways that are outside of our box that we don't think he's going to come through. And so he comes through in unexpected ways. Okay, so that's, that happens there. Now in verses 8 through 24 of chapter 17, he meets a widow at Zarephath. He leaves the brook. God t tells him to go meet this widow. He, he meets this widow in a Gentile country away from his home. He goes to her and asks for bread and water. And she's, she begins to tell him, I'm a widow. My son's too young to care for me. Um, I'm actually taking the bread and water that I have. I'm going to prepare a meal for me and my son, and then we're going to die. Like, great outlook. Like, just really negative here. Um, but, but, so Elijah's being called, though. First, he's going to be fed by ravens, and now he's going to be fed by this really poor widow. And so God is really like really testing him and molding him into the man that he wants him to be. Um, and she doesn't even have enough food for herself. Um, but God always promises that we will have enough. If we trust God with all we have, he will give us all we need. And so she asked this woman to trust God with all that she had. And then he says a miracle will take place. You will never run out of bread and water again. 
And so that's amazing. Like, and so if she surrenders this over, um, then God will provide a miracle for her. Our simple acts of faith are usually what produce the miracle we need. Every miracle, you've got to understand, every miracle begins with an act of obedience. And so this happens, and then later on in verse 17, it says that the widow's son grows sick and dies. And then she indirectly blames Elijah, and then she blames herself, and she says it's because of my sin. Um, And then we see, look in verse 20 real quick, just Elijah here. He says, then Elijah cried out to the Lord, O Lord my God, have you brought tragedy to this widow who has opened up her home to me, causing her son to die? One thing we, as we get into studying Elijah, he's a little dramatic, little drama queen a little bit. Um, he's a little emotional. Um, so we're going to see this in a few of his stories tonight. But he cries out to the Lord. He then stretches himself over the boy three different times, praying for the Lord for him to come back to life. And then the boy is revived. He is resurrected. He comes back to life. Now, there's so much right here in this little story that we don't have time for, but I'm going to give it to you real quick. Um, we are the widow. Elijah is the father, and the son is Christ. Everything in the Old Testament is Christocentric. It all all points to the son. It's all type and shadows of Jesus because the son eventually was going to be the widow's redemption because as he got old enough, he would be able to provide for his mother. And without him, she is doomed, and Elijah raises him from the dead. So do you see that? You see how Elijah is the father? He raised the son back to life so that he could provide for the widow. Good point, Josh. Thank you for that. Okay. Um, <laughs> if you turn the chapter in chapter 18, we have the contest on Mount Carmel. And now this is a very familiar story. This is a story that, that most people uh, have heard or know about. Probably the most famous story that we're going to look at tonight. This is Elijah's peak moment. This is the peak moment of his ministry. Um, he's been hidden with God. He's been training. He's been developing. He's been going through the process. And now it's time for him to present himself. So he shows up to Ahab and to Jezebel, and let's read in verse, <clears throat> it, this is, by the way, three years, three years into the drought, so we're three years into uh, no rain or dew, and so I imagine things are really, really bad. So we get into verse 16, and it says, now Obadiah went to tell Ahab that Elijah had come, and Ahab went out to meet Elijah. When Ahab saw him, he ex- exclaimed, so it really is you, you troublemaker of Israel. That's the king talking. Now we have Elijah talking back to the king. And he says, I have made no trouble for Israel. You and your family are the troublemakers. So he's like, bro, this is the king you're talking to. Like, he could kill you right now. He's the king and you're talking trash to him. So like, easy, bro. But, but I love this boldness that he has. And what he does is he calls, he calls them, Ahab and Jezebel, and 850 of the prophets, pagan prophets, to a showdown on Mount Carmel. And let's look at the challenge here. Verse 20 says, So Ahab summoned all the people of Israel and the prophets to Mount Carmel. Then Elijah stood in front of them and said, How much longer will you waver, hobbling between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal is God, then follow him. But the people were completely silent. So that's so uh, here he's challenging them, either serve God or serve Baal. You know, it reminds me of Joshua 24, 15. Choose this day whom you will serve. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. That's what it reminds me of. He's saying, make up your mind. Either serve God or serve Baal. They don't respond. (laughs) Then we see in uh, verse 22, Then Elijah said to them, I am the only prophet of the Lord who is left, but Baal has 450. Now bring two bulls. The prophets of Baal may choose whichever one they wish. Cut it to pieces, lay it on wood on their altar without setting it to fire. I'll prepare the other bull, lay it on the wood of the altar, but not set fire to it. Then call on the name of your God, and I will call on the name of the Lord. The God who answers by setting fire to the wood is the true God. 
and all the people agreed to this. So there's the challenge that we have. And so now it is the prophets of Baal turn. He says, you go first. There are many of you. Choose your bull, prepare it, call the name of your God, but don't set fire to the wool. They prepared it, placed it on the altar, called in the name of Baal, shouting from morning till noontime. Okay, like these guys are devoted. Like they're shouting from morning till noontime, oh, Baal, answer us, but there was no reply. It says they danced and hobbled around the altar that they made. About noontime, Elijah begins mocking them. He begins talking trash to them. <laughs> he says, you're going to have to shout louder. For if he truly is a god, perhaps he's daydreaming, or perhaps he's relieving himself. That's code word for he was going to the bathroom. And so this is like ultimate like disrespect to their god. And this, I mean, just if you've ever played sports and football or basketball or anything, just talking trash to the opponent, this is what Elijah's doing right now. And, uh, and so, and they, and they get crazy. They start shouting louder. It says they start cutting themselves. Blood is gushing everywhere. And I, I, I look at that and think that's foolish, but then I think I've done the same in my own life. Because I have cried out to other gods. I have gone deep into depravity. I have gone deeper into, you know, we were all those sinners who, who served something else other than the Lord. And we all needed Jesus to save us. But we have all cried out to something that didn't answer us, that didn't satisfy us, that had no guidance, that had no direction, that had no plan, that had no purpose for us. And so these guys look crazy, but we've done some of the same things to our gods. Now, they may not be named Baal, but they might be named money. They might be named alcohol. They might be named drugs. They might be named something else, but we all sinned against the Lord. We have all gone into deep depravity and needed the Lord. And we've all cried out to them and gotten no answer. Okay? Now in verse 30, now it's Elijah's turn. Elijah called on the people, come over here. They crowded around him. Uh, he built back the altar. Verse 33, he piled wood on the altar, cut the bull in pieces, laid it on the wood. Then he said, fill four large jars with water and pour the water over the offering and the wood. Then he said, do the same thing again. When they had finished, do it a third time. And the water ran around the altar and even filled the trench. Okay, this right here is crazy to me. I would have been like, bro, we've been in a drought for three years because of you. Where do you want us to get water from? Where do you want us to go get water from? All the water that we have, like we need so that we can live. Right? We need water to drink. We need water for our fields. And so you're asking us to go get water, and we've been in a drought for three years because of you. Like that would take some serious faith, and I imagine it took a lot of time to gather this water. And what a sacrifice to pour out all that water on the altar. But we have to understand that following God costs everything that we are, even our most valuable resources, everything that we are. Again, there's so much here that we don't have time to go into. But just real quick, the water is a symbol of our baptism. You know, John, it says that John the Baptist came in the spirit of Elijah. And then he said, there's one coming after me that will baptize in fire. When Elijah prays, God sends fire from heaven and burns up the offering. Just really cool stuff here that we don't have time for. All right, read in verse uh, 36. At the usual time of the offering for the evening sacrifice, Elijah the prophet walked up. O Lord, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, prove today that you are God. In Israel, I am your servant. Prove that all I've done, at this, I've done this at your command. O oh Lord, answer me. Answer me so these people will know you are God and that you have brought them back to yourself. Immediately the fire fell. The Lord flashed down from heaven, burned up the young bull, the wood, the stones, the dust. It even licked up all the water out of the trench. And when the people saw it, they fell on their face on the ground. They cried out, the Lord, he is God. Yes, he is Lord. So fire falls, it burns up everything. Like 
This is a picture of our salvation. This is a picture of that baptism of fire that, that Jesus does when He comes and makes His home inside of our life, when the Holy Spirit comes inside of us. And I think, I think we can be like Elijah too. Like, okay, like, that didn't work for you, but like, come over here and look at my life. And look at what Jesus has done for me. He's burned up all that inside of me. That didn't work for you. Look at my testimony. Look what happened here. Good point, Josh. Thank you for that. I think that many times we have to take our, ourselves back to this because I think it's easy for Christians to lose that fire, to lose that thing that we're walking in. We have to con constantly remind ourselves of what God has done for us because it's so key into what, what goes on here in the next, uh, the next few verses. But I love this verse 41. I just want to point this out. This is like an epic one-liner that you would see like super dramatic in like a superhero movie to like the villain or something. Elijah looks at Ahab and says, go get something to eat and drink for I hear a mighty rainstorm coming. <laughs> just like, I just picture like epic music and like Elijah's just looking right at him like going, like you just won. Like this is the walk-off shot. Like you hit, you know what I'm saying? Like this is the walk-off home run. He looked like, go eat and drink, big boy. I hear rain coming. Like, come on, like that's so, I think that is so cool. Um, but we get into verse 41 through 46, and it talks about Elijah praying for rain to come. But Elijah doesn't pray for rain to come one time. He has to pray seven times. And he's praying, and he sends his servant to run to the edge of the cliff and see if there's anything coming. And his servant comes back like, no, I didn't see, I feel bad for this guy. He sends him seven times, like running back and forth, like, bro, like, why don't you go? Like, why don't you run and see if there's any rain coming? But he sends him seven times. And I, I think many times in our own life, like, we give up. We stop praying. We stop believing when we don't see an answer right away. But I want to encourage you tonight that you have to be fervent in prayer. You have to ask and keep on asking. You have to knock and keep on knocking. You have to seek and keep on seeking until we get that answer. Like, don't stop believing. Your testimony is proof that it will happen again. Elijah knew it would happen because before the words left his lips, fire came down from heaven. And so he knew that God could come through. He knew that God was going to come through, so we cannot lose faith. Now, how do we not lose faith? Just look at what God has done in your life. Look at what he's done in the lives of those around you. Do, whatever you're believing, I'm here to tell you tonight, whatever you're believing for, don't stop believing. Whatever you're praying for, don't stop praying. Keep, press in. Keep asking. Keep seeking. It will it will happen. And then I love, um, so he sees a wisp of, of cloud coming. Um, and, and so there, there's actually a heavy rainstorm that's actually coming. And, uh, and so he's going, he's going to, uh, Ahab left quickly for, for somewhere, but the Lord gave, verse 46, this is just funny. The Lord gave special strength to Elijah. He tucked his cloak and his belt and he ran ahead of Ahab's chariots all the way to the entrance of Jezreel. Like, dude, like, that's fast. Like, dude runs out in front of horses. Like, God gave him supernatural strength to do that. It was just super cool. Okay, so that happens. Well, and then in chapter 19, it says that Jezebel hears about this, and she swears that within the day that she's going to kill Elijah. And Elijah gets super freaked out, and he runs away. He gets scared. Like, bro, why are you scared? Like, look at what just happened. Like, fire fell from heaven. It fell from heaven, and then you killed 850 prophets. And you're worried about one woman? Like, bro, like, I know hell hath no fury like a mama scorn, but come on, dude, look what, look what just happened. Look what just happened. But that, again, it, 
And he goes, and he, it says he's so distraught that he prays out to God that he might die that day. Like, again, dramatic, man. Like, like, get it together, man. Like, put your big boy pants on and let's go. But, you know, the same thing happens to us so, so oftentimes. God comes through for us, and then a couple weeks later, we, we listen to fear. We listen to worry. We listen to stress. We, we get exhausted, and we, and, we get, and we give up, and we run away from what God is trying to do in our life. But God leads him to a mountain where he hears from the Lord in, in verses 10 through 18. And God asks him what, he doing, what he's doing there, and he goes into a pity party about how I'm the only one left, and I'm going to be killed, and I'm, the, I'm faithful to you, I'm zealous to you, and now I'm going to be killed, and this is the way that you treat one that serves you. And so God's like, I'm like all right, just sit down. <laughs> and an earthquake comes through, and God's not in the earthquake. And then God sends a windstorm, and he's not in the windstorm. And then God sends a firestorm, and he's not in the firestorm. And then everything gets quiet. And a still, small whisper, a still, small voice comes through and speaks to Elijah. Now, it's interesting that God speaks in the whisper. God, we have to understand God speaks in whispers because he wants us to lean in. Whispering is an intimate form of communication. He wants us to lean in close to him to hear him. It if somebody's speaking in a whisper, you have to silence everything else. God wants us to, he wanted Elijah like, calm your worry, calm your fear, calm your stress. You know what I'm saying? Turn off the phone, quit watching the news, get alone with me, lock the door, and let me speak to you. Let me speak to you. You know, and it's that still small voice that the Holy Spirit comes and he changes us most. It's not, all, it's not always God's outside voice, it's his inside voice that changes us the most. And then, thank you. <laughs> then he tells him, he tells Elijah, I've got 7,000 other people that have not bowed before Baal. Like, so quit your pity party out. Put your big boy pants on because I've got 7,000 other people that have not retreated from me. But, but what, what the devil wants us to do, he wants to make us feel alone. He wants to isolate us. You see, the devil wants to cut us off from community. He wants to cut us off from the rest of those serving the Lord. And like that, the church is so key. We did a panel a few weeks ago about the importance of being the church and the importance of coming to church and being a part. Um, it's so easy for us to get the woe is me attitude. But it's easy when we're, when we're isolated, when we get alone, and we're not around other believers having them encourage us. But we, we've got to understand that, that God has got an assignment for us to do. And the only way that we can accomplish it is if we get our eyes off ourselves. We have to get our eyes off ourselves. Now, we need to get alone with God we need to recount his blessings, our victories, remember his unfailing love and faithfulness, but we cannot isolate ourselves from the church. We have got to have community around us. We are not alone. All right, I'm going to skip a couple stories. Uh, if you're interested in study, uh, you can look at Elijah confronts Ahab in chapter 21, verses 1 through 28, uh, because he, him and Jezebel uh, pretty much kill a man named Naboth, and they steal his vineyard. Uh, and Elijah comes and condemns him for his sin and describes his judgment. Uh, and then in 2 Kings 1, verses 1 through 17, uh, uh, Elijah, sorry, Elijah confronts Ahab and Jezebel's son, who is now king, and his name is Ahaziah, Ahaziah if I get that right. Um, but he confronts him because he's a, pretty much he's about to die, and um, he sends messengers to a false god, and Elijah intercepts them and says don't go to a false god like you're going to die because you live as if there is no you live as if there is no god and so he condemns him to death and and eventually he he dies i'm going to move into elisha now 
the call of Elisha actually happens um, when <laughs> at, at the end of the small whisper in chapter in First Kings nineteen. Uh, God tells Elijah, I want you to go anoint these two people king, and then I want you to anoint your successor, which is going to be Elisha. And so Elisha goes and finds him. Let's look in uh, chapter 19, verse 19. It says, so Elijah went ahead and found Elisha, son of Shaphat, plowing a field. There were 12 teams of oxen, and Elisha was plowing with the 12 team. Elijah went over to him, threw his cloak across his shoulders, and then walked away. Elisha left the oxen standing there, ran after Elijah and said to him, first let me go and kiss my father and mother goodbye and I will go with you. Elijah replied, go on back, but think about what I have done to you. So Elisha returned to his oxen, slaughtered them, used the wood from the plow to build a fire to roast their flesh. He passed around the meat to his townspeople and they all ate and then he went with Elijah as his assistant. Now Elijah comes into the field, throws his cloak on him. This is symbolic. The cloak was the most important part of the covering, but it signified his prophetic authority that he had in the nation. And as throwing it on Elisha was a symbol of this guy is going to succeed, succeed me. Now this, so this was the call for Elisha to join in Elijah's work as a prophet. And I love what Elisha does. He goes and kills his oxen and burns his plow. And so he commits to, I'm going to follow this guy no matter what. I'm not going to have anything to come back to. He just killed his way of life, his means of living. He killed it and leaves it behind and says, I'm not turning back. And we have got to have that same attitude for Christ. We're not going back to the old man. We're not going back to what we used to do. We're following him no matter what happens. And we've got to have that type of commitment where we completely kill our old self. And so then we get into, if you go to 2 Kings chapter 2, flip over a few pages with me. 2 Kings chapter 2, this is where Elijah is taken up to heaven. This is the last story about Elijah. This is about eight years after what just happened. So Elisha has been following Elijah for the last, year, the last eight years, preparing, learning on, on, how to, on what to do for his job. And, and so we read here, if you read verses uh, 1 through 18, we see the story and Elijah actually, he, he, they're walking, and he says, I'm going to go to Bethel. I want you to stay here. And Elisha says, no, I'm not leaving you. I've made a commitment to you. I'm not leaving you. And he says, okay, like you can come. And so then he says, well, now I'm going to go to Jericho. And he says, you, you could stay here. He's like, no, I'm not leaving you. And then the, they, have these, they have these other students that are called sons of the prophets that come and say, hey, your master's going to be taken today. And Elisha's like, I know, but let's not talk about it. Let's be quiet about it. And so then uh, they, they're crossing the Jordan River. Uh, Elijah takes his cloak off, hits the Jordan River. They walk across on dry ground. Again, he tries to get him, hey, stay here. I'm going to go over here. And, and Elisha's like, no, like I'm committed. I am not, I'm not leaving you. Elisha made a commitment. He was committed to his training, his preparation, until the Lord wanted him to take his place. We got, don't, don't rush into promotion. Don't rush into uh, somewhere where God is trying to prepare you for. And he, he was patient. He was committed to what God had called him to do. If we'll be patient and stay committed, God will promote us into our destiny. And so uh, Elijah asked Elisha to stay behind. He refuses. Um, and then Elijah, Elisha makes this bold request in verses 9 and 10. He says, if I'm with you when you're taken, I want a double portion of your spirit. I want a double portion. Now, that seems kind of like, like, dude, like, come on, man. Like, really? Like, <laughs> how unselfish of you. But it, re it really was. In, in Genesis 25, the firstborn always received a double portion of the father's inheritance. Elisha was asking Elijah for a double portion 
of, of an inheritance in a spiritual sense. And Elisha was asking from a pure heart because Elisha wasn't out to make a name for himself. All he wanted to do was accomplish twice as much as Elijah. And, and if you go and you do a study, Elijah, Elijah actually performed eight miracles that are, that are documented pretty big things, and Elisha performed 16. So he really did get that double portion. He really did perform twice as much. But all Elisha wanted to do was build on the foundation that Elijah had built. All he wanted to do was build on the foundation that Elijah had already laid. As spiritual mothers and fathers, as mentors, as disciple makers, we should want our kids, we should want our disciples to do more than us. That we're laying the foundation for them. I want my sons to have twice the anointing that I have. I want them to do twice as much, and they should because I'm laying the foundation for them right now. And we should be, as spiritual mothers and fathers, we should be excited about passing that on to them, about passing on that mantle. And, it, and understand, just like Elisha, if our motives are pure, we shouldn't be afraid to ask God to do great things with us. We have the very Spirit of God. We have the Holy Spirit living on the inside of us. Jesus said in John 14, 12, whoever believes in me will do greater works than these. Like, we have to believe that. We have to believe in that. And then in uh, verse 11 and 12, Elijah is taken up by a chariot of fire. He's the second man in the Bible uh, to not die, to receive this great honor of just being carried away to heaven. Uh, Enoch was the first. If you'll remember in Genesis chapter 5, Enoch was taken up. Okay, so he's taken up. His cloak falls off. Elisha picks up his cloak, his mantle, puts it on to, to kind of seal that he was choosing to walk out this, to become the successor, to walk out this ministry. He then walks back to the Jordan River, strikes it, cries out, Oh God of Elijah, if this has happened to me, part the river. The river parts, so it's, it's him. He's now the guy on the scene. Um, then if you go to ver, uh, verses 19 through 25, We've got two miracles here. One of them is, is amazing. <laughs> um, but the first one, he purifies water in Jericho. <clears throat> and then he leaves Jericho. And on his way to Bethel, these teenagers, these young men, come and start mocking him. They, if you look in verse 23, it says, Elijah left Jericho, went to Bethel. As he was walking along the road, a group of boys, which it wouldn't be little boys, it would be teens, it would be young men, from the town began mocking him and making fun of him, saying, Go away, Baldy. Go away, Baldy. This is where it gets really crazy. Elisha turned around and looked at them and he cursed them in the name of the Lord, and two bears came out of the woods and killed the 42 of them. That's in the Bible. Like, that just happened. Like, the Bible is not boring. Like, bears come out of the wood and kills 42 of them. Now, this happens because these young men were a threat to Elisha's life. Like, they were probably going to try to hurt him or kill him. He was going to the religious center in Israel at the time, and they didn't want this guy coming and speaking against their immorality. And so they were trying to keep him from doing that. And they were showing severe disrespect to him and God's message. And so when Elisha curses them, it removes God's blessing off of them. And so two bears come out and kill him. And so just for me, like personally, like I'm never going to make hair jokes on staff. Like, we have some amazing godly men whose hairline has receded quite a bit more than I have. Um, number one, I want to keep what I've got. I want to keep what I've got. I'm not, I don't want to reap what I sow by, by making fun of them. And number two, I don't want to be eaten by bears. Like, I'm good. And so I'm never going to bring up their hairline. They're older, they're wiser than me. I'm never going to say, go away, baldy, to Brandon, Paul, or Tim. Like, I'm just not going to go there. I'm not going to say anything like that about them. <laughs> but 
But anyway, like this, this still is, a, I know this is pretty intense right here, but this is a key lesson that we're supposed to respect and obey those who are over us. Hebrews 13, 17 says, obey your spiritual leaders and do what they say. Their work is to watch over your souls and they are accountable to God. God give them reason to do this with joy and not with sorrow. Sorrow, that would certainly not be for your benefit. Okay, then we get into chapter 3. We get into chapter 3. Three armies come together, Israel, Judah, and Edom. They come together to go to war against Moab. <clears throat> and um, <laughs> they get out in the desert, and they run out of water. And then in verse 10, they cry out to the Lord, and they ask God to bail them out. You know, many times, I think, I think oftentimes we don't pray before we go into something, and then we get into it, and we want God to bail us out of our best. And that's just not, that's not wise. That's not good. But they do seek out godly mentors. They do, or they do seek out godly advice, and it's good for us to seek out godly mentors, but preferably on the front end before we get ourselves into something. Um, <laughs> anyway, so they, they come to Elisha, and Elisha's like, why are you coming to me? Like, and, he, and he tells the king of Israel, if it wasn't for the king of Judah, I wouldn't even talk to you. And uh, because he has no respect, because he's an evil king, but the king of Judah, Jehoshaphat, is, a, is actually a really godly man. And basically, he tells him in verse 15, you aren't even worth my time, but bring me a harpist. Like, what? Bring you a harpist? Like, we're about to die. Like, we're, we're, we're dehydrating out in the desert. He says, bring me a harpist. He wants mood music. And so, like, the harpist comes and starts playing, and then he gives the prophetic word. And so, you know how we do ministry time? Like, Brandon will come out here, play his guitar. Well, Mama Kay, come play the keys. Kind of set the mood. Kind of makes it go down easier, right? And... uh this has been going on since the Old Testament. <laughs> and so it's been going on since the Old Testament. But the, the, the music comes on, and, and if you look in the King James and New King James Version, this is the word that comes to Elisha. He says, now make this valley full of ditches. That's the word from the Lord. Make this valley full of ditches. Well, hang on. Like, what do you mean make this valley full of ditches? Make this valley full of ditches, and, and then water will come. God will provide water. And so they're out here dehydrating, dying, and they've got to dig ditches all night long. They dig ditches all night long. God does send water. Um, God does send water. Some, a couple key things that we can learn here is that as many times um, when the music does come on, we get inspired, we get pumped up, we, we come to church, we go to a conference, you know what I'm saying, whatever, we get pumped up to do God's work. Um, but the inspiration has to turn into participation. Faith without works is dead. God actually requires us to be doers of the word. And I love it. it. It never talks about the men complain. They just dig the ditches and God is faithful and he sends the water. Okay, I'm really running out of time here, so I want to end with this story. This, was, this is my favorite story out of all of them, um, where Elisha helps a poor widow in verses 1 through 7. This woman is in hell on earth. She comes to Elisha and she says, my husband is dead. Debtors are about to come and take my two sons. And, and I need help. And, but but my, my husband, was a, he was one of the prophets. He was one of the guys that, that you taught. And Elisha asked her, what do you have in your house? And she says, nothing, except I have a jar of oil. Well, do you have Nothing. Or do you have a jar of oil? And, and I think many times we, we discount what we have. We discount what God has given us. Don't, don't discount what you have after the storm has passed. 
Because what you have, God will provide. He will multiply. He took five loaves and two fish, and he fed 5,000 men, not including women and children. He, like, Jesus took the 12 disciples, one of them betrayed him, he took the rest of the guys, and he changed the world in less than 20 years. Like, don't discount what God has given you. God will take something little, and he'll make it much. We have to understand that, all, that God always starts in seed form. He always starts in seed form. And it's hard for us because we live in a culture of microwaves, like we want our burger in 30 seconds from McDonald's. But God lives in a culture of farming. And so there's this principle of seed time and harvest. But the, the middle part there is what's hard for us is the time. Is the time. But seed time and harvest, we can't miss that middle part. But I want to encourage you tonight like, that your story's not over. You may have planted some seeds and your harvest might be right around the corner. Don't give up. And so he says, okay, well, take, take what you have. Take this little oil that you have. Go to all your neighbors, gather all the vessels that you can find, and start pouring this oil out. And God is going to make that oil pour out so that you can pay off all your debt. So she goes in, she get, they gather, and you've got to think, her neighbors probably think this lady has lost it. She's lost her husband, she's about to lose her two sons, now she's coming over to borrow pots and pans. Like, this lady is crazy. And so they, they bring in everything, they start pouring the oil out, and the oil's not running out. It just keeps filling up jar after jar after jar after jar. And I do want to say, they went in and closed the door. And I, just real quick, God wants to pour himself out on you in the secret place. He wants to fill you up. We weren't made to be just filled up and poured out, filled up and poured out, filled up and poured out. We were made to overflow with him. Everywhere that we would go, we were made to overflow with him, but that only happens from spending time with him and allowing himself in the secret place with the door shut, allowing himself to pour into us. But they're pouring out, and then, and then she asks for one more, and, she's, and, and one of her sons says, Mom, that's all, that's all the vessels there are, and then the oil stops. My question is, would the oil have ever stopped flowing? Would the oil have ever stopped if they had more vessels? But the oil stops. She, they, they were able to sell it, pay off the debt. What if this woman had thought outside of herself? What if she had thought outside of herself? She probably could have paid off not only her debt, but her neighborhood's debt, her city's debt, her nation's debt. See, many times like we stop with us, but God wants to fill us up to overflow so that we affect the world around us. So that in our workplaces, in our families, in our homes, that, that we get on people. That what's in us gets on them. <clears throat> and had she had planned big enough, and again, this is, this is Christocentric again. Elisha is the father. The dead husband is Jesus because she comes in the name of her dead husband. And the Holy Spirit is the oil. The Holy Spirit is the oil. <clears throat> in Ephesians 3.20, like he will do more than, immeasurably more than we can ask, think, or imagine. God's provision was only as large as their faith and their willingness to obey. But God wants to do, let's not put God in a box. He wants to do so much more. He wants to do impossible things with us. He wants to do impossible. So I want to build that, our faith up, that God wants to do crazy. Don't give up. Like God wants to do amazing things with us every single day. There's a few more stories here that we could go into about Elisha, but I'm, I'm out of time, so we're going to have to close. But he does some incredible things. Um, <laughs> where he, uh, he traps the, the, the Arameans and uh, they wake up and they're surrounded and, and his servant's like, we're surrounded, we're going to die and Elisha's not freaking out at all and he says, 
Listen, greater are those in number that are for us than those that are against us. God opened his eyes. And when he opens his eyes, he sees that the, the, the army that's come to destroy them is surrounded by angels. It's surrounded by chariots of fire. You know, greater is he that's in me than he that's in the world. That, that kind of stuff. There's so much good stuff in here. There's so much good stuff in here. And, and, and just to end, when, when Elisha dies and he's buried... There's some Moabite raiders that come through and one of their men dies and they throw the man's body into Elisha's tomb. And when his body hits Elisha's bones, he comes back to life. Even dead, (laughs) even dead, this guy is performing miracles. And my question for us to end tonight is, what kind of legacy are we going to leave? What kind of legacy is the testimony that we're building? Will it continue to change people's lives even after we're gone? In reading the stories of these men tonight, I want, it to, I want it to encourage you that God has a calling and a purpose on your life, and that calling and purpose goes beyond your lifespan here. And I, and I think we even see that from Elijah passing it to Elisha. But these are, these are two incredible prophets. Did, and I know I just kind of threw nuggets all through, throughout that whole deal, but anybody get something out of this tonight? All right, y'all stand with me tonight. Let's pray. Lord, we love you so much. We thank you for your son, Jesus, God. We worship you with all that we are tonight. God, as we studied Elijah and Elisha tonight, Lord, let us, let us glean something from it, Lord. Let us walk out here looking more like your son, Jesus. Let our faith be, build up, be built up tonight, God, that you want to use us every single day to build your kingdom. God, we love you. We praise you. We give you all that we are in Jesus' name. Amen. Join us next week as Associate Pastor David Pate wraps up our Heroes of Faith series on the book of Daniel.